Good morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to see you here. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to hang out. If you have your Bibles, let's jump into our Bible study time. For those of you who are watching online on this rainy Sunday morning, good morning. For those of you in our video teaching services at 9.30 at Summit Christian Academy at 11 a.m. at the main house, thanks for being with us today. We are in week three of this series, Jesus and Inner Strength. We are just three weeks away from our summer ministry journey, which is going to see us all come back together. If you weren't here last week for Mother's Day and did not hear, we are starting a program this summer called Summer Saturdays at Journey. We are going to move our two Summit Christian Academy services to a Saturday night service. For those of you who it might be easier in the summer to come to church on Saturday at 5 p.m. rather than Sunday morning, we really believe that we will be able with a Saturday evening service, eight Saturday evening services from June 5th to July 24th, to allow all of our church to fit together in one building without having to have any overflow, without having to do any video services. So we're super excited about what's coming. For those of you who have been at Summit Christian Academy for the past three months, thank you. Thank you for being missionaries over there to allow more people who have been away from our church to come back as things begin to open up again. Um, But we are really excited for summer ministry. Memorial Day weekend, we'll just be in three services and Sunday morning here. We know so many people travel Memorial Day. We don't think we'll have to turn anyone away that weekend, but beginning in June and July, Saturday at 5 p.m., Sunday at 8, 9, 30, and 11. Every Saturday night, we'll have food after the services. We'll have games. We'll have hangout time, and it's our goal to have our church family together this summer like they will be when we're in our building with space and time to be together and hang out, which we are super, super excited about. We're in Matthew chapter 6, focusing on Jesus and inner strength. Why are we doing that? Let me tell you the premise of this series. We are trying to learn as we read through Matthew chapter 6, the spiritual practices that lead to the potential of spiritual inner strength. We're in the 23rd message on the Sermon on the Mount so far in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, where Jesus is trying to help us develop his heart, where Jesus is trying to help us develop his attitude, where Jesus is trying to help us to develop his life in the world that we live. But as we turn into Matthew chapter 6, he says it can't happen without this strong inner strength. So we talked about prayer two weeks ago. We talked about meditation and reflection last week. Today we're going to talk about fasting. Next week we'll talk about generosity. Memorial Day weekend we'll talk about trusting. We'll talk about those things that nobody sees but God that make you strong spiritually so that when people look at you, hopefully everyone sees Jesus. That is the goal of this series. And here are the goals of this morning as we dig into today's message. Number one, to think about who the audience of our life is. The big question of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, is this. Whose attention are you living for? Whose praise are you living for? Who are you aware of when you wake up, when you go to bed, and when you make key decisions that maybe no one will see or maybe everyone will see? Whose attention and affection are you living for? And then number two, to unmask the things in our lives that distract us from our need for Jesus. Now, full disclosure, I make these messages weeks and weeks in advance. And these sermon notes, I promise you, were printed this week before any news came out that changed anything. But even with that said, it's so good to see so many of you below the eyes this morning. For those of you who are vaccinated and for those of you who are pretending, it's good to see your faces today. And we need to continue to pray as we gather that God just keeps our church healthy as he has um, so far. But man, it's, uh, it's good to be in church and see a smile on 
people's faces. Amen. So glad, glad to have you here today. Um, and just another Sunday as we move forward, uh, hopefully to a place where our community and our people and our families can live in tremendous health and we can move past this pandemic. Before um, we ever read our Bible here at Journey, we always stop and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. So would you bow your heads with me just quickly? Take a deep breath. And would you just begin with a moment of confession? Would you ask God right now to forgive and cleanse your heart of anything that today could be on your heart and standing in the way of you hearing from him? Unconfessed sin, maybe a commitment that you did not keep. Just ask God to clean your heart so that you're ready to hear. And then ask God to speak to you. God, turn the soil of our heart over so that it's fresh for the seed you want to plant today. And then speak to us. We're listening. Use today to help us see Jesus more clearly. And God, use today to help us see things that distract us and the things that we might be living for that cannot fulfill us that we need to back away from. God, we love you. We need you. Help us see these things today. We ask them in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So we've talked about prayer, how to develop inner strength through prayer. We've talked about reflection, stopping to pause, learning lessons of life in the pause. Today, we're going to talk about fasting in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Only three verses today. Here's how they read. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Only three verses today, but honestly, we're just going to look at five words in these three verses. If you have your Bible, you might circle these words in yellow because they are going to be the keys that unlock these three verses in a way that helps us apply this practical truth in our life. We're going to look at the word when, we're going to look at the word hypocrites, we're going to look at this phrase, show others, we're going to look at fasting, and we're going to look at the word secret. We are going to cover a lot of ground today. So like you may shake out your hand if you're a note taker and get ready. I I always talk fast today. I'm going to have to talk faster. So here we go. Number one, we're, we're going to start with discerning spiritual motivation discerning spiritual motivation. Let's look at these three verses again. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it won't be obvious to others that you are fasting. And your father who sees what is done in secret is going to reward you. Have you thought much this week about who the audience of your faith is? Have you, have you spent much time thinking this week about the things that only God sees and has that directed your life in a specific manner? Because Jesus said when it comes to living out your faith, there's really two options. You're either doing it for others or you're doing it for your Father who sees in secret. So Jesus is giving us this spiritual showdown. And your, is your faith about showing others or is your faith about le- living in the secret space with God that helps really strengthen you? This chapter, Matthew chapter 6, really begins with a challenge of who are you living for? Who is your audience? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you won't have any reward from your Father in heaven. We live in a generation that lives to be seen. Have you all noticed this? Two weeks ago on the Activate podcast, Pastor Ryan asked me, what's the most difficult part of 
really putting this series into practice. And I said, it's only one thing, changing your audience, because we already have a world designed to live in a way that is to be seen. We, we, we don't even feel like we have lived until something has been seen. And if we live and don't show it off to others, people think that we have secrets and that we're hiding things. Like, you literally can't even have a secret life anymore without being criticized for it. Jesus says, who is your motivation? So I said, if we could just teach teenagers, yes, you want to post everything you're doing in life so that Jesus will like it. They've already been trained how to think. We just need to teach them who to think of when they live their life in front of someone because the world we live in already processed their whole life through what will everyone think of this. If we could just change that to what would Jesus think of this, we would be on the right track spiritually. The key question of Matthew chapter 6 is who's your audience and how do you remember that spiritually? Who's your audience and how do you remember that spiritually? I think one thing that has made me reluctant over the last 10 years to pastor a church that has grown into the size that our church is, probably one of the things that has not made me the greatest leader of a congregation our size, is I'm a small-town kid from southern Ohio. And on a rainy day in May, we will have more people in church today in person than I had in my whole town growing up. Like if you ask my entire town, about 893 of us, I think is what the sign says when you pull into town. If everyone in the town from the youngest to the oldest had to appear in one place together and they all showed up, we will have more people in church today than my whole town had growing up. That's just who I am and how I was shaped. I never went to a church that is the size of our church. Don't even know what it's like to be a part of one. And I never really had a student ministry experience because there just weren't enough kids to have youth group. We would have Sunday school, but not really youth group, which meant my youth group growing up was the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I went every year from 7th grade through 12th grade to the National Conference Center in Crawfordsville, Indiana, to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. And every year they would give me a camp Bible. This is my camp Bible from 1995. This camp probably changed my life more than any other camp because this was the camp where I became convinced that my friends who did not hear about Jesus would one day live in an eternity without him unless somebody told them and that God put me in their life to tell them. And I went home from this camp with this Bible and turned to the back page with friend after friend and teammate after teammate and said, this is how my Bible tells me that, that you can give your life to Jesus. Do you want to? And at a summer where just one at a time, this, this kid who wasn't going into ministry, I wanted to be a lawyer at the time, told his friends about Jesus. But one of the themes of FCA that I love that actually came out in 2003, because I think it speaks so strongly to anyone who's ever been involved in athletic competition, was the theme audience of one. And they taught the kids at the 2003 camps and in the 2003 year that Christianity is an audience of one. And I think the reason it appealed to athletes so much is because the illustration made perfect sense. They basically said this, when you're living your Christian life, you need to think about living for an audience of one, of pleasing one, because nobody scores a touchdown and expects that the coaches of both teams will be happy. They only care about theirs. And nobody hits a home run and goes to both dugouts to get high fives. They only care about one. And somehow we have drifted into a world of Christianity 
that says if you can't make both teams happy, you're not even doing it right. That's not Christianity. Like people in 2021 say, man, if you just would act like Jesus, everyone would love you. Because everyone loved Jesus. Now we say, like, except for the people who crucified him, right? Like, we, we don't about the same guy? See, I think Christians need to be given permission to live for an audience of one and to know that if your coach is clapping, it doesn't matter what the other sideline is doing. And if you're a real competitor, you actually want them cursing and criticizing you because that just fires you up to be even more committed to your coach and your team. Amen? We have got to figure out as a Christian church, how to live for an audience of one and understand that there is an enemy and every time we score spiritually, they are unhappy. They will not cheer. They won't say, that looked just like Jesus. Good job. That's not the way the world is shaped. So who's your audience? I feel like the Christian church is looking at the wrong audience so many times and we're trying to figure out how to appease the masses so that they might, might maybe just possibly just think about coming to Jesus. That is never the posture of Christianity in the Bible. So Jesus said, man, be careful that you're not living your faith so you'll get the attention of someone else. Live your faith in such a way that you please God. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He's the guy. He's our audience. And sadly, there has never been a generation who spent more time on their outward life and less time on their inward life. Which is why anxiety and depression medication in America alone are a billion-dollar industry annually. Because focusing on the outward life is sad. It's depressing. Paul told the church in Corinth, we don't lose heart because we're not focused on the outward. The outward is wasting away, but that doesn't discourage or depress us. We anticipate that, and we are encouraged because inwardly we are renewed day by day by day. It's not about the outward. It's about the inward. So Jesus says, make sure you're not hypocrites. Say the word hypocrites. This was not a slam 2,000 years ago like it is today. This word hypocrites wasn't as derogatory 2,000 years ago as much as it was a description in the early church. We use the word hypocrite today to, to, to level against someone an accusation of having a false faith. But the way the New Testament church used it was literally describing someone who had a, who had a face of faith but maybe, but maybe not a heart of faith or maybe not a full-time faith. The word hypocrite was a theater term used 2,000 years ago in Greek, and almost every kind of developed town, there was, a, there was a theater. Theater was a big deal. But in most towns, there was only usually one actor or actress who was good enough to act in the play. So they would play the role of everyone. Like the credits at the end of the show would have been like Dan because Dan was all of them. It was usually one guy or one girl who played every character in the play. You say, how did they represent different people? They put on a mask. There's your unmask our distractions. It has a biblical connotation. It has nothing to do with a pandemic. They would be one person, and then they go backstage, and they put on a mask, and they would be another person. Then they go backstage and put on a mask, and Jesus said, Man, make sure you're not doing that spiritually. Make sure you don't have a Christian mask when you want people to think you're Christians, but then you can take it off and you have another mask at work or in life or 
sitting on the sidelines of the games or for athletes standing in the huddles or between the lines. Like, make sure you don't have a face of faith without having a heart of faith. Because the Pharisees had a face of faith. The Pharisees would fast twice a week, every week. On Mondays and Thursdays, they would fast the entire days. Because those were the market days which meant the town was filled with people. Everyone would come in from the countrysides, and they would tear their clothes. They'd put dust on their head. They would act like they were starving all day long, and anyone who passed them in the marketplace would be like, they're so much more spiritual than I am. And Jesus would say, no, 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 that's just their mask. That's just their mask. Your heart is what tells you how you're doing spiritually. So don't let your faith, your faith be outward-facing. Let your audience be Jesus, and let your faith be inward-facing, because... When your faith is based on a series of out, outside activities, faith is a part of your life. It's not the point of your life. But when your faith is centered on Jesus, it becomes the point of your life. Everybody say Jesus. He's our guy. Who's your motivation? And do you think of Jesus before you ever take any steps in life? Do you have an audience of one? So Matthew 6 is all about discerning spiritual motivation. Who are you living for? Who are you trying to please? But then we also learn how to put away the masks, how to not have just outward-facing faith, and we learn how to find spiritual dependency. Here's a question that Jesus is teaching on. Christian, is there anything I can do to help remind myself how dependent I am on Jesus? Let me say the question again. Christian, is there anything I can do to remind myself how dependent I am on Jesus? The answer is yes. You can do some things to create spiritual dependency in your soul. And one of those things is fasting that we're learning about today. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They're just wearing their mask through the market. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Everybody say fasting. How can I develop something in my life that reminds me how much I need Jesus? Fasting. The answer is fasting. What is the biblical definition of fasting? It's a total or partial abstinence from food for a, those should be two words, for a period of time in order to focus your attention on God and the spiritual needs of your life. It's, it's literally creating a physical hunger that reminds you spiritually you're hungry. You are creating a physical need that triggers a response in your heart to say, oh, I also have a spiritual need. Pastor and author and theologian, college professor Richard Foster, who's wrote extensively, he's written extensively on spiritual disciplines, says more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what controls us with food and other things, but fasting reveals those things almost immediately. So Pastor Ryan asked me on the podcast this week, Christian, what has fasting taught you? And my first answer, and I'm not proud of it, was my stomach lets me know I miss food before my spirit lets me know I miss Jesus. That's what happens when I miss a meal. My stomach is like, hey, dummy, you missed a meal. 
And I wish my spirit, when I missed a day of quiet time, would literally growl in a way that made me uncomfortable if I was around other people. Have you ever had like your stomach in a meeting growling where you're like, oh, stop it. Like, <laughs> my stomach reminds me that I'm hungry before my spirit reminds me that I'm hungry. So fasting reveals to me just how much more dependency I need on Jesus. Now, we're going to fly. I didn't even leave blanks on your notes so that you could just follow along because we're going to go too fast. What are the types of fasting? Eight that we see in Scripture. I'm going to kind of teach through two chunks real quick, and then we're going to try to figure out how we apply them. The normal fast, to abstain from all foods and drink only water. Jesus did this in Matthew chapter 4. He said he went 40 days without food, and then the devil came to tempt him. There's the partial fast. That's abstaining from certain types of food. Daniel did that in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel said, we're going to abstain from all meat and all wine. You say, why in the world would anyone like that? Like, why would you want to do that one? Because Daniel said, test us to see if God isn't with us. There's the absolute fast to abstain from all food and all liquid for a short time. Ezra and Esther asked the people of Israel to do this for three days. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 did this for three days, a three-day fast, no food, no water at all. There was the supernatural fast that Moses and Elijah both did, no food or water for an extended amount of time. This is not even medically possible to go 40 days without food and water. You can't even live unless supernaturally God is doing something. We're told Moses and Elijah both did one of those fasts. There's the private fast, a private choice for a personal spiritual matter. That's what we're reading about in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, this thought that if you've really got a need, you need to really bring before God. You can fast, but you don't need to let anyone know that you're doing that. There's the uh, corporate fast, is a spiritual community fasting together. In Acts chapter 13, they ask all the people to pray and to fast so they could discern who God wanted to send out as missionaries. They chose right when they chose Paul and Barnabas, but only after a time of prayer and fasting. There's the national fast, which was for the Jewish people in the Old Testament, but believe it or not, if you study American history, this was also at times things done for the American people. In Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat called the entire nation to fast. John Adams as the Americans were considering going to war with the French in 1798, asked the entire nation to pray and fast. James Madison, during the War of 1812, asked the entire nation to pray and fast. Abraham Lincoln, three times during the Civil War, asked the entire nation to pray and to fast. Every time, if you go back and read their speeches in the Library of Congress, they ask Americans to pray and fast and to ask for individual repentance and forgiveness of sins, and national repentance and forgiveness of sins so that God would wipe away the trouble they were experiencing. It's interesting. I think a lot of Christians today say, man, I long for the days of John Adams and James Madison and Abraham Lincoln. And I think if those three guys were alive today, they would say, I long for an America that would be willing to ask for national repentance. I think maybe both of us have drifted a little bit in asking God to forgive the sin of our land our relatives, our ancestors, our country, how we operate so that his goodness might fall on us again. That was us at one time. And then there's the regular fast. For the Jews, the Day of Atonement on our calendar, Yom Kippur, uh, was a day of fasting and continues to be a day of fasting where they would just fast um, every year on this day to remind themselves how much they needed God. 
This week on the podcast, don't have time to discuss it now. I tell you which three I would start with if you want to begin to fast. What's the purpose of fasting? Why? Why, why do it? Um, number one, to intensify and strengthen prayers. That's why Ezra did it. Ezra was at a real spiritual intense time, so he not only prayed, but he fasted so he could strengthen his prayers. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, the early church did it to seek God's guidance. God, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to handle this issue and this conflict that's coming to us? Um, Paul told the church at Philippi, your God is your stomach. You literally cannot say no to your natural desires. So the church at Philippi would fast to reveal what controlled them. Do your passions control you or do the Lord control? Like, do you have control over the passions of your life? In Acts 9, 9, Paul fasted three days to expose the sin in his life so God could really get a hold of him and show him where his heart had been falling short so that he could move forward spiritually. David called the entire nation of Israel to to fast when King Saul and his sons died. So fasting was something that could signify a deep period of mourning. Uh, In Jonah chapter 3, the entire nation of Nineveh uh, fasted, the city of Nineveh fasted, to display repentance and remorse before the Lord. Lord said, I'm going to destroy you because of your sin. And they said, we, we won't eat. They wouldn't even let their animals eat to just prove to God how sorry they were and how much they needed him. To demonstrate serious concern before God. David in Psalm 35, to demonstrate humility before God. God, I need you more than I need food and water to express our love to the Lord. Those are all reasons that we fast. And as I read through Matthew chapter 6, literally as I'm studying through the words of Matthew chapter 6, I literally said out loud, "Uh uh-oh. Like I'm reading through Matthew chapter 6 and I get to this portion of fasting and I said, "Uh uh-oh. Because Jesus assumes that his followers were fast. And when I went back and I studied all the words of Matthew chapter 6, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I think we've missed it. Matthew 6.16, when, when you fast. Matthew 6.17, when you fast. Just like Jesus taught in Matthew 6.2, when you give, when you pray. If we had a church that gave and prayed like they fasted, uh-oh. If we had a Christian America who gave and prayed like they fasted, Uh uh-oh, if we had churches who gave to their community and prayed for their community like they fasted for their community, uh uh-oh, Jesus assumes that this will be a part of the spiritual disciplines of his followers, that they will live in a way from time to time where they choose to create a need and awareness, eliminate a distraction in their life, so that they can lean into Jesus. Say, so this is a pretty big deal for Jesus, huh? It is. In Matthew chapter 9, I'll be teaching through this text on October 10th. It says, Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then, let's read it out loud. They'll fast. My people, they'll fast. Uh-oh. I don't know that we have but we can. We can as we desire to develop inner strength. We can choose to fast 
And honestly, for those of you who are engaged in our prayer services and our prayer ministry, it will be the focus of June and July and August. Let's answer three questions, and then we'll pray and ask God what he wants us to hear. Number one, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Answer, to create a physical need or to bring some mental attention to our need to focus on Jesus, which means we are depriving ourselves of something or we are eliminating something. We are depriving ourselves from something that reminds us that we need Jesus or we are eliminating something that reminds us how distracted we have become. So we're fasting from food, or some of you may fast from other things. Okay, what do we fast from? That's a good question. Food, drinks, or meals that will remind us of our spiritual needs or remind us of our passions that are causing spiritual distractions. So this summer, over the course of 13 weeks, I will bring to our Sunday night prayer service, June 6, 13 different ways to fast, starting really, really easy, like fasting from, like a Daniel fast, a particular food group. You say, I'm going to fast from vegetables. That is not how it works. <laughs> fast from things you like. If somebody was like, Christian, let's fast from coffee, I'd be like, I'm all in. If somebody's like, Christian, let's fast from Diet Coke, I'd be like, now that's a supernatural fast. So like the Lord will have to, that the Lord will have to help me. So we'll start easy. We'll start easy with maybe a food group, maybe Netflix, maybe social media, maybe Facebook. So we'll start with little things, and then we'll work our way up to the Yom Kippur fast in August, where I'll ask those of you involved in our prayer ministry to fast with me sundown to sundown, almost an entire 24-hour period. But we'll work our way up to that one one meat, one food, one drink, one distraction, one meal at a time. We'll work our way up to that. What do we fast from? Anything that causes us distractions or creates a need. And you say, when? For a set amount of time and for a specific spiritual need. Not as a diet. That doesn't work. But if you have a spiritual need that Maybe for a week, maybe for a year, maybe for a decade, maybe your entire life has just been hanging around and you've just been praying, God, I really need you to deal with this and you've done everything but fast. That's the type of thing you take before God, a friend who needs Jesus, a big decision in your job, a big fear that you have. Those are all things that you say, I'm going to choose to fast for this. So every time I'm reminded of what I'm missing or how distracted I am, I will replace that immediately with focusing on my need for Jesus' help in this decision, in this area, with this person, with this habit, with this addiction, with this sin. We will slowly learn how to move forward and fast together. We will attempt as a church to give up something that feeds our body to gain something that will feed our soul. I love what Pastor John Piper says about fasting as we get ready to close our message. I just talked about summer fasting and breakthrough that'll start this summer. Piper said, God is committed to rewarding those acts of the human heart that signify human helplessness and hopelessness before God. Over and over again in Scripture, God promises to come to the aid of those who stop depending on themselves and seek God as their treasure and help. He rewards those acts that confess human helplessness and that express hope in God because these acts call attention to his glory. When Jesus is your motivation, when you want your spiritual dependency to growl at you like your stomach growls when you miss a meal, 
And when you lean into Jesus because you want to draw close to him, you will develop inner strength. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it? My hope for our church today, for those of you watching online, for those of you in our video teaching message, is that you will choose today to make the summer of 2021 a summer of fasting for spiritual breakthrough. And even if you've not been a part of our prayer ministry, that you will either attend or tune in to our Sunday evening prayer services, our Monday morning prayers at some time, and that you will choose every week of the summer, June, July, and August, to give up something so that you might gain something. 13 weeks. 13 weeks of giving up something that feeds your body, that distracts your mind, in order to gain something that'll feed your soul and focus your mind. If you choose to make that commitment today, I think as a church, we will win. Let's not be the uh uh-oh church. Because if we give and we pray like we fast, we probably should fast more because we have a desire to give more, and I know we have a desire to pray more. Amen? Would you pray with me today as we consider these things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room for those in our video teaching service. Our campus pastor will now come and close our video teaching service. Journey, do you live for an audience of one? Or do you want the praise of everyone and end up missing the praise of anyone? Because you're not living focused enough to have Jesus say, well done. And everything you do spiritually disappoints the enemy. Would you ask God to help you focus on the only coach you're supposed to be playing for? Would you be okay with silencing the enemy or drawing their criticism when you score touchdowns for Jesus? Ask God to help you see things clearly and develop a boldness to live for an audience of one. When you fast, how did that hit your soul? When you fast, journey, will you give God your summer this year to lean into him one week at a time, one small sacrifice at a time? If so, will you commit it today on this May 16th? Will you say, God, this summer, 2021, I will fast so that I can experience spiritual breakthrough. Will you commit to it and then will you carry it out and learn how to do it? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand the greatest fast that anyone ever partook of was Jesus. He fasted from heaven. He fasted from being creator God. He fasted from all the glory of the heavenly angels who would praise him night and day. He fasted from all of those things so that he could come and live for you because he loves you. He died for you on a cross so you could be close to him and right with God so your past could be forgiven, so your present could be filled with his spirit so your future and eternity could be lived with him if you don't know Jesus. But your heart is telling you, I've tried everything else and I now need someone who would give everything for me. Commit or recommit your life to Jesus. If you don't know how to do that, you can pray these words after me just from your heart to heaven. Just pray something like this, Jesus. I need you. Today, I accept your invitation. 
to live in relationship with you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of all of my hurts and lead me every day for the rest of my life. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, Pastor Mike will be up here on the stage. He'll tell you how you can let us know either here or those of you watching online. We'd love to pray for you, pray with you, give you some resources to help you on your new spiritual journey. But for the Christians in the room, when you fast, my prayer is that God will help us become a church that gives with the generosity of Jesus, that prays with the fervency of Jesus, and that fasts like our Savior Jesus so we continually are reminded how much we need Him and how, m- how many things distract us from Him. God, help us to be a church that develops the inner strength of Jesus by eliminating things that feed our body so we can expose what we need to feed our soul, by eliminating things that distract our spirit so we can learn how to focus our spirit. Jesus, you have our attention. You have our hearts. Teach us to pray. Teach us to give. Teach us to fast and walk with us as we do to spiritual breakthrough. That's our prayer. And Lord, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.